again, I ask you to turn to Psalm 119. We're going to take up verses 12, uh, 25 through 28 this morning. Psalm 119, 25 through 28. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I shall meditate on your wonderful works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit of God, we pray for your illumination now upon our hearts, that you would show us this word, that you would take the everlasting truth of God and mingle it with the conviction and strengthening of the Holy Spirit that we might know it more and go forth in our lives to glorify you. Amen. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, in our study of Psalm 119, we've seen this expression of the truth. And the convictions of a godly man who loves God's word. And we see his utter reliance upon God's word to walk in the way of the Lord. And we remember that God has given us and in fact entrusted us with exceedingly great and precious promises. So that through that we are driven by faith to the Lord, to his mercy that we may walk in his ways keep his statutes, for they are life to us. In our last study of Psalm 119, the psalmist, you might remember, he cries out for God for help against the reproach he endures from the wicked. And he says he's fixed upon God's truth. You might remember in verse 22, remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. And indeed, we know that reproach by the wicked will come because the Christian keeps the commandments of God and lives them out, and which beckons rebuke by our enemy and by our enemies of the Lord. And we discussed how the word of God instructs us that we should expect such scorn and reproach from the wicked, but that we must keep pressing on with faithful confidence, not responding in fear, but in faith, and firmly standing on the word of God. So with that, with that as a backdrop, this morning we're going to see the continued convictions of the psalmist in times of despair, in seasons of spiritual heaviness. And really just two points today that, that we're going to focus on. One is, first, we learn that we cannot stay in a place of discouragement. We must move on from it by faith. And secondly, it's the truth of God that we must run to because it's only his word that enables us to walk forward in faith, that strengthens us, that kindles our faith to trust in God and to press forward into the calling he gives us, particularly in difficult times. So the psalmist begins in verse 25. Let's look there. He lays out an honest description of where he is. My soul clings to the dust. 
My soul clings to the dust. It's not a phrase we're that familiar with. Probably none of us have actually said it quite that way, but it's used several times in the scripture to describe a time of great heaviness, full of sorrow and mourning, with with the head down in the dust. It's a soul-level despondency, a, a feeling of powerlessness, of humiliation. Similar to the language we see in Job. You might remember when he covered himself in dust. Or in Psalm 44, for our soul is bowed down to the dust, our body clings to the ground. Because it's such a deep level of distress, it's like your soul is laying in the dusty earth with no hope ahead. But what, what's, the, what's the cause of this sorrow? Why is the psalmist at this place? Well, from looking at the psalm thus far, we see it's both likely an external and an internal distress. It's both. From the outside, it could be physical health. Right? Maybe you feel like you're almost at death's door. Or it could be the attack from the adversary, the reproach of the evildoer, the discouragement that comes from rebuke by the enemies of God. But there's also an internal, spiritual recognition of the state of his own soul. And we see that throughout the psalm. The abhorring of his own corruption. He sees his sinfulness before the Almighty God. It's really similar to Christ's Sermon on the Mount exhortation of the blessed, The poverty of spirit, the mourning over sin, that low place where the spirit through conviction brings us. That God may refine us and really bring a more glowing gold in his saints. So it's likely that the despair comes from both external affliction and internal conviction. It's both. And in this place, he's ready to die. He's ready to give up. He almost has no strength left to go on. We need to ask ourselves, have you ever been in that place? Could be for just a season of life. It could be for one very hard day where the weight of it all, the external pressures and internal convictions are heavy on your soul. It's painful. Your heart hurts. At that moment, it seems hopeless and overwhelming even to go on to the next day. I I know of these times, brothers and sisters, and I'm sure you do too. I I know the times of depression and discouragement, the weight of despondency, moments that it seems like life ahead is just a dead end. It's very real. We need to recognize this. Weighty discouragement in the Christian life is a real thing. It's not something we can dismiss. And and I just want to take a moment this morning to emphasize that. As the redeemed child of God, we are joyful in the Lord. Amen? And we must stand in the faith and hope of God, yet spiritual heaviness is a real part of this pilgrim journey we walk. 
The number one Christian contemporary song of 2018 was number one for over three years. And today, five years later, it's still in the top three Christian contemporary songs of all time. Now, I'm not endorsing this song or CCM, and frankly, most of CCM is weak and outright bad theology. It takes a lot of discernment even to listen to it. But we need to ask ourselves something, honestly. Why are Christians overwhelmingly gravitating to the message in this song? For over five years, it must strike a chord in people's hearts. Here's some of the lyrics. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I'll never measure up. Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. It's honestly a similar cry of our psalmist here today. My soul clings to the dust. And I'm not saying this song is great or some model to follow, but let's be honest, people are pulled to the message in this song because Christians know discouragement. People experience, people hear the lies and and have moments of despair. We forget the hope of our God and it's a real thing. Isn't it? It's real. Because when the lies come, when the discouragement in our hearts build, you know that's a very uncomfortable place to be. You, in fact, know you should not be there. You cannot stay there. You must do something. The hope of God must be restored in your life. A soul clinging to the dust is no place for the redeemed child of God to remain. But what do we do? How how do we get out of this? Where do we go from this pit? How do we get out of the darkness and get freed from the weight of it all? Well, as our brother mentioned this morning in his prayer about the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil, do you know they have answers? They have solutions for us? Let's take a look at those for a moment. The world surely has an antidote to this discouragement. And it really just has one thing to say, and that is you need to escape the pain. With thousands of options available, simply run away to a variety of things that the world offers. Entertainment, recreation, perhaps turn your mind off with some drug, distract yourself with some thrill-seeking event, partake of some exciting immorality to snap you out of your depression. But... We know, many of us by experience, that while those seem to satisfy for a little while, they really just beckon more and more, don't they? And bring a greater depth of darkness and sin. But, but sometimes, if we're sincere before God, we know we are tempted to give in to these worldly answers to our discouragement. Particularly if we're listening to the world. Or we may be actually walking in some form in the ways of the world. Which is no place for the Christian. We've got to be saved out of it. But praise be to God, we were. Amen? The Apostle Paul begins his letters to the churches of Galatia by reminding them of this deliverance. 
Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Present evil age. This is the world in its fallen state of sin and misery. This age that is captive to and just dominated by evil. But from this place, you've been rescued. You've been saved. The picture is of ones who are in great peril from which they cannot pull themselves out of. But you've been freed from it. You've been rescued from it. The sin-saturated world. And then Paul carries that consideration forward a couple years later when he wrote the book of Colossians. There in chapter 2, he issues them a warning once again about this. He says, do not be cheated through philosophy or empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the the world, and not according to Christ. Paul reminds the saints that this world really just has one worldview to offer. And it's all outside of Christ. It's the basic principles of the world. It's the traditions of men, which are not for the Christian to walk in. They will lead to being cheated, deceived, to man-centered, Christless thinking. And like the psalmist, when your soul clings to the dust, we can't go to the empty deceit of the world. No matter how intellectually enticing it may seem. And really, no matter how many of your friends run there as well, we have to step back from these basic principles of the world and stand steadfast in the truth that God has given us from above. Now secondly, in addition to the world, the flesh surely has an antidote to your sadness. And one way you can always tell it's the flesh is the flesh always has one approach, and that's self. It will turn you to yourself. And we know this from Romans 8, don't we? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on what? The things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit of God. So our flesh will tell us really to respond like there is no God. It's just you. You've got to figure this out. You've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and be a self-made man. There you go. That's your answer. But it'll first begin by pulling you to gratify your own desires. So it may start with complaining to others about your state, to outwardly lament your condition perhaps blaming others, or maybe just sitting and and fruitlessly wishing for things to change. But as we know, Romans 8 goes on to say, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But But if you live by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And thirdly, the devil, certainly he has an option to resolve your sadness the father of lies, who came only to kill, steal, and destroy, he and his minions at those times will put before you condemnation, surmising 
an accusation based in subtle deceit. Not a good answer to our hopelessness. But we know, we know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, these are the enemies of the Christian. None of them will have paths to our God for his children. And so the psalmist goes on and immediately notice in the same breath, he goes to God's truth. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. This cry is desperate. Help me, God. Revive me. Literally, quicken in me. Let me live. Resuscitate me, God, from this spiritual sickness, from this death that is upon me. Revive me according to your word. And this is our first point this morning. When we find ourselves in that place of a downcast spirit, we cannot remain there, but we must turn to God. Children, this is the first point in your handout. When our hearts are sad, we must turn to God and remember his promises. Turn to God and remember his promises. And I want to show you this in a couple different ways this morning. First, if you're a reader of the Bible, you know that despair is very evident in the people of God throughout the scripture. But notice they never remain in that state. This is a good area for further study, but just as an example, one of the deepest states of despondency that David experiences is related to us in Psalm 31. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief, yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. But, but that's not the end of the psalm. It doesn't end there. He moves and he turns to God before he's even done with the psalm. He goes on to Remember God's promises. He cries out to God for deliverance. He speaks of God's justice. He declares God's goodness. He rejoices that his God is a place where he finds refuge. And he even ends with an edifying encouragement to the people of God. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart all you who hope in the Lord. Discouragement is indeed real, and it is deep. It is, in fact, scar-creating, but we do not stay there. Secondly, remember that Jesus is our example. Remember Jesus, our Lord, on the night of his betrayal? His agony was so great that his sweat became like great drops of blood. And he stayed there in despondency and cried all night long. No, no, that's that's not how it goes. He actually trusted in his father. He rose up from prayer and stepped forward into the calling that God gave him, which was to die for our sakes. Let us remember that what our Lord has for us is not to stay in this state. But he has for us what he's promised. Life, and life abundantly. Joy in the Lord. 
as our brother spoke, refreshing waters out of our mouth, refreshing waters from which we'll never thirst again, a living hope. This is the reviving that we need according to his word. And indeed, the external afflictions are weighty. The internal mourning over sin brings us to a poverty of spirit. Yet it's in these very things, these times, that the Lord brings us joy, brings us a confidence that he loves us, that he's with us. Romans 5 even says it's this weight, this pressure, actually the tribulation that builds our hope in God and causes us to glory in trials. For God's love is being poured out through the Holy Spirit upon us. So it's the question we should ask ourselves. It's said very clearly in Psalm 43. You probably remember, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? A real condition. But we cannot remain there. We cannot camp in this place. The psalmist cannot. So he goes on, And says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And it's in these times, the the weighty times, that we must stop and back up. Sometimes we say we have to go back to the basics, right? It's a good thing to do when you feel the heaviness upon your heart. We have to look at the bigger picture of what God is doing and remember who we are and declare this. You are a redeemed son, daughter of the king. You were created by God. He knit you in your mother's womb so you're not a mistake. He sent his son to die for you so that you would be forgiven. He picked you to be his own. So you are chosen. He redeemed you. So you are wanted by him. He poured out his grace upon you so you could be rescued and saved. He has a future for you because he loves you. You are a child of God. You have a loving father in heaven who loves you so much that he knows everything that's going on in your life right now, and he is with you. He is continually interceding. He knows all your weakness. He knows all your pains. He hears all your cries. Remember that he's with you. See, we know these scriptures, brothers and sisters, but but it's in the time of heaviness it almost seems like we forget them, isn't it? We, we know this. Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Amen. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We've heard that before. This is the key. This is the key to our walk in faith, is in those times, can we believe it? and live it out and walk in it. We can, by faith, by the grace of God. And we also remember that he is sovereign. And does anyone believe that God is sovereign over all? 
Amen. It's, particularly as Reformed Christians, we love to say that. He's sovereign. But it takes a different thing to live it out in hard times, doesn't it? I mean, can, can you say, as the Puritans said in their prayer book, nothing befalls me without his permission, appointment, and administration? See, the Lord our God, he's not just a kind friend. He's not just a compassionate mother, but he is God over all. He's Lord over all creation. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's the risen Savior. He is with you. You are his, and he is yours. So we do not stay in that place where we are clinging for the dust But we look up, we get up, we run to him by faith. We don't let the dark discouragement hold us in its grip any longer. We don't let bitterness or anger or self-pity tie us down for one more minute. Christ comes to set the captives free. He opens the door to those who are imprisoned. And do you remember what he brings? Remember? Remember Isaiah 61? Beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's for you, from the King of Kings. Your Redeemer lives. Yes, and in the hard times too. And have you ever noticed that when your head is down, everybody look down for a minute. When your head is down, your, your field of view is very small. Maybe you can see your lap or your Bible or something. But when you look up, everybody look up and look around. You can see a lot more. And that's what we need to do. We need to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. Right? For you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. We must step back, look around, take inventory of what God is doing in your life. Jesus related this to us in Matthew. You might remember when Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus said, really in no uncertain terms, that there are actually more people going to hell than that are going to heaven. Many are on the broad road and only a few are headed to life. Yet here you are sitting in church, hearing the word of God. Now, sitting in church is certainly no guarantee of salvation, absolutely not. But what is God doing in your life? Do you know right now there are billions and billions and billions of people not hearing the word of God? What's God doing in your life? Something's going on, something beyond your control. And in his picture of the narrow gate, notice Jesus gives us a promise. He really just gives one promise about this narrow gate. He says it's going to be difficult literally contracted by pressure. But this is the way of life. 
And it should be no surprise that when the heaviness, when the downcastness comes upon our soul, because he told us it would be difficult. And we know that we are soldiers in the invisible war. We are in the crossfire. We are living in the midst of spiritual warfare and all the calamities that come with it. Earlier this week in prayer meeting, we talked about the invisible war. This battle between light and dark, between truth and lies, between good and evil, and you are in the middle of it, Christian. Not as a spectator, but as a combatant. Because you just showing up for church today, you draw the enemy's fire. And when you read your Bible, you get a big target on your chest. And, and when you pray and intercede with the saints and fathers and mothers, when you bring your children the word of God, you've entered the battle once again. Re- remember the, the clear picture given to us in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. This is not just some random cosmic event happening. By the salvation of Christ, by waking up spiritually with life, by grace through faith, you are in the battle. You are placed in it. That is your position in Christ, in spiritual reality. You have weapons, we are told, to fight this battle. That's how real it is. God says, yes, here are your weapons, here are your armor. Better know what those are. Because the invisible war is real. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. As you believe and serve God, those high things are rising up against you. But there stands Christ, ready to punish, to hammer down all that disobedience when his followers step out in faith and look to him. It's no surprise that the heaviness comes. You are wrestling with the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, and you are standing in the evil day when the evil day wants you to sit down. You know what's encouraging? You're not alone. I'm not just looking out at one person. Praise be to God. (laughs) Because you are part of a thriving band of broken yet redeemed saints. You are marching forward together behind the captain. It's like Simon of Cyrene. You remember him? He was pulled out of the crowd to carry the cross of Jesus. And so he's literally denying himself, picking up this cross, and literally following Jesus. That's our call too. 
not to do it alone. Not separated, not isolated, not as an individual, but together marching with the household of God, with the army of believers. We sang earlier, the Son of God goes forth to war. A noble army, men and boys, the matron and the maid, around the Savior's throne rejoice in robes of light arrayed. They climbed the steep ascent of heaven through peril, toil, and pain. O God, to us may grace be given to follow in their train. That's us. That's us, family. That's our heritage. That's the people sitting right now to your right and your left. We follow in his train, in that of our Savior, his triumph and his kingdom come. So the heaviness will come, but we cannot stay there, brothers and sisters. And so the psalmist moves forward now as to how we turn to God. He says, revive me according to your word, because it's only God's word that we can go to. It's to his truth that we must run. Because really in our despondency, what we've done is stepped back from the truth. We've, we've forgotten momentarily that hope of Christ and listened to the falsehood and lies. Revive me according to your word. All the noise that the world is shouting towards us, we must look through. Actually, as our brother related this morning. And knowing God's truth prevails. We must hold it with that truth of eternity. Heaven and earth will pass away. Think about that for a minute. Pike's Peak melting. But my words will by no means pass away. And children, this is the second point on your handout. When we face a challenge or difficulty, we must turn to God's word in faith. We must turn to God's word in faith. Because it will take true faith to go to God's word. As we discussed, there's so many other options out there that we are offered. But like the psalmist, we must turn to God's word. We must cling to his truth. Jump into the means of grace he's given. We pray, we trust, we confess. We hope in the active work of the Holy Spirit who's making intercession for us. And it's a cry to God. It's, it's that cry that we read earlier in Psalm 61. My heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's it. We must go back to the solid, firm foundation that's only found in the Word of God. Particularly because as we walk by the Spirit, in the midst of our downcastness, we, we may well be convicted there. We must be on solid ground to know how to respond. So when we see our sin, we may live in that liberty by which Christ has made us free. We rejoice turning to God, knowing the love of our God, remembering the hope of the gospel as we decrease and he increases. So practically, as we turn to God's truth, we need to say no to the dead-end options of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and go to God right away to his word and prayer and stand on that rock that is higher than I. And that's really the question for us today. 
in those times of heaviness, when it's hard, where do you go? What do we do? It's so important for us as Christians, we can't go to the junk food offered, but we must go to the source and sustainer of truth in the Word of God. And, and just, just for us as a reminder, as the covenant body of Christ, let us encourage one another towards that. Amen? Let us come alongside one another. If we see a brother or sister in that place of discouragement, pray with them. Bring them the Word. Sometimes we're so da- da- downcast, it's hard to even open the Word. Or re- well, read it to your brother. Just start reading it. Bring the truth. Bring life. Revive according to your word. May God's spirit do that so that in his everlasting merit and his perfect righteousness, we're at peace under the grace of God. We are revived and stained and live by God's truth because we remember man does not live by bread alone, but what? Every word, every word from the mouth of God. And so as we run to God's truth, one thing is going to inevitably happen. You're going to see your life more clearly. That's what the psalmist says in verse 26. Look there. He says, I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. See, when we go to God's word, it's like that mirror that we describe in the first few of the law. It's, it, it reflects to us the perfect truth of, of God laid upon our life. It reveals to us our sin. It, it drives us further to Christ. And so this is what the psalmist is experiencing. He's going to God's word. It draws out our soul. It's that discerner of the intentions and thoughts of the heart. And so we go to God. We go to that foundational truth and we lay our lives upon it, we can see clearly. We can see what he's doing in our life with a transparency before God who knows all. In his heaviness, he comes to God's word with a sincerity. God, this is my life. This is who I am. This is where I am. And God's word answers him. Not with excuses, not with someone else to blame, not with, not with some acceptance of sin, but God answers him with the truth so that he sees and tastes that the Lord is good. And by that, he's quickened to pray to God for more grace, for more wisdom, for more holiness, for more faith. And so he declares, teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Such a good request. We must always resort to prayer in our discouraging times because it's really the surest and shortest way out of the depths. Children, this is the third point on your handout. It says we go to God's word to pray to God that he will teach us his truth. We go to God's word and pray to God he will teach us his truth. We say in those times, God, give me more. Show me once again how I need you. I need your truth. Nothing else will satisfy. Only you are sufficient. That's what we need to do. Boldly declare our lives before God 
trusting in him, it will leave us with a hunger for his truth alone. And the psalmist continues the same petition in verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I shall meditate on your wonderful works. See, there's a continued plea for God's truth. He, he wants more, and now the psalmist is resolved. L- look at the words he says. Make me understand your ways. Why? He knows it's only God that can give him understanding, and it's so that he can meditate on his wonderful works. Because it's in that place where our minds are really set and established to glorify God, right? You remember Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may know and prove what is that good, perfect, and excellent will of our God. We want to know God's will. That comes through operating in faith. We have to have a sound mind, the mind of Christ that is rightly aware of the battle that's going on, the external afflictions, and rightly aware of the internal refining that God is doing in our hearts, conforming us to our image so that we can remember and meditate on his works so that we can lift our heads up and out of the discouragement. And children, this is the fourth point on your handout. God helps us understand his word so can we can rejoice in his wonderful works. God helps us understand his word so we can rejoice in his wonderful works. Because As we've learned from Psalm 119, we need the continual teaching from God's word, right? 1 Corinthians 2, you might remember towards the end of that chapter, it reminds us that spiritual things can only be spiritually discerned. So we have to grow in our understanding and believe in the supernatural work of the word of God. Once again, we receive the call to daily partaking of, consuming, and meditating on God's word. And through this partaking of God's word, the psalmist comes once again to feel the weight upon his soul, but this time it's different. This time, the heaviness comes from the conviction of God's word. Have you ever been convicted by God's word? Have you ever, have you ever just been reading it and felt that heaviness on your soul? Look at verse 28. My soul melts from heaviness strengthen me according to your word. Because you, you, you might know this heaviness. It's that spiritual battle you've stepped into. You're familiar with the weight, familiar with the discouragement, and your soul feels like it's melting. Even at times in this Christian journey, it may feel like you're growing weaker, not stronger. As God conforms you to the image of Christ, as indeed, we do it decrease, and he increases, right? Be, be, because the pain, it doesn't leave right away. It's still there. But God is using it for good, for his glory in our life. Reflect with me now on the Apostle Paul's words in Second Corinthians 12. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. 
And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is how our soul melts from heaviness. We know this. Just as the Apostle Paul lived out this heaviness upon the conviction of God's truth, but sufficiency through Christ to conform us to his glory. Pastor Stephen Lawson related it directly as he was paraphrasing Calvin's Institutes. He says, Before God uses a man greatly, he must break him greatly. God works best through broken vessels who have been crushed by the hammer blows of the devil. The more we desire to be used by God, the greater must be our willingness to suffer for him. Those are hard words. But we are broken before him. So there's a faith-based boldness here knowing we are made as ready vessels of honor for his use. And there our soul melts. And so we say, God, strengthen me according to your word. This is how we are strengthened, church. The psalmist uses the same exact phrase to book in this section. Right? We've looked at verses 25 through 28. Look, look at this. Verse 25, he says, revive me according to your word. And then in verse 28, strengthen me according to your word. We live according to God's word. And this, children, this is the fifth and last point in your handout. We live and are made strong by God's word. We live and are made strong by God's word. His word is life to us. We must know it, live it, consume it, make it our all in all. Because God's word stands forever. We're, just, we're described as a mist, a vapor, but God's word stands forever. And yes, we will suffer, sometimes because of our sin, and sometimes because of other people's sin, and sometimes because of the state of sin and misery of this world. But when we suffer, it is for the glory of God, because God has appointed it for his glory that it may be revealed through our lives, through faith. So we go to God's truth. We respond in knowing and declaring the voice of victory. For you know who you are and who God is. As Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of heaviness, we cannot forget that we are loved, that we are saved. The remembrance of God's sovereign mercy makes our godly sorrow Turn to tears of joy. So what will we do in tough times? Will we remember that God is in control? Will we go to worship God on the hard days? Will we bless the name of our Lord even when we feel the weight of affliction? Are we going to hang our heads down and stay looking down? Or stand up and worship our God and run to his truth. 
And children, I know you experience this too. Sometimes it's hard, hard days, hard times. Maybe you're afraid or you feel alone. But God word, God's word tells us we must run to him. We must call to our God in prayer and say, strengthen me according to your word. Run and grab hold of the truth. We're going to sing here in a moment this hymn. And let's remember that when, we, when we're accosted by that heaviness, to look upward and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. So may we run to our God. May we rise up and say and declare, O my soul, hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your sure, true word and that we live by it according to your word. You revive us. You strengthen us that we may live and declare your truth. Oh God, give us this hope today. Continually pour out by the quickening of the Spirit the reminder of your love, of your grace, of the hope that is in God, that is kept in heaven for us, which nothing can hinder and nothing can stop and nothing can take away. God, we praise you and we thank you and we rest joyfully in this truth today. Amen.